Advent wreath, and that third candle is the joy candle. So what is joy? One of my favorite Christmas carols is O Holy Night, uh, and I think it's because it gets to the heart of joy for me. I know that there's an obvious one, joy to the world, but this one to me just gets me a little bit more. Listen to these lyrics. Long lay the world in sin and in error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Like he appeared and the soul felt its worth. There's a thrill of hope. I think joy, like at its most pure, is that feeling. That thrill of hope that's like deep in your being that you experience when you're confronted with who you really are to God. What you're really worth to him. I think so many in this world, maybe even among us, are joyless. So many are the weary souls who don't know God. And so we look for joy everywhere. We look for something to prove that we are valuable. We look for something to say that there's worth in all of this, something to tell us who we are. We seek to eliminate hurt. We seek pleasure. We seek to esteem ourselves in the eyes of others. But no matter what we do, it doesn't produce what we really want, and that's a deep joy. We chase happiness, but that's a different thing. Happiness is different. It's not bad. It's good. But it has to do with the current state of emotion. And joy is found in an enduring reality, an enduring truth. And my hope is that this morning's passage that we're going to look at stirs up that kind of joy in your heart. It stirs up a sense of your soul's worth to God, a sense of how deeply he loves you, how deeply he cares for you and how he cares and loves each and every one of us. Now, there's a few passages in the Bible uh, that seem to me to hold like the entirety of Scripture right there in just a few verses. The Lord's Prayer is one of them. It comes to mind probably because we spent so much time with it over the last couple of years. Uh, the Great Commandment is another one of those, right, where we see that all the law and prophets hang on this to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then this morning, we're going to take a look at another passage from Scripture that just seems to put the whole story into one place. And it's Mary's song. It's found in Luke 1, 46 through 55. You can turn there. We're going to get to it in a minute. It's often referred to as the Magnificent which comes from the Latin translation of the first words that Mary says here, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's song in Luke is a response uh, to her cousin Elizabeth's like exclamations of blessing upon Mary's visit with her uh, while they were both expecting. We took a closer look at Elizabeth's words last week, but I just want to rewind for a moment to give us a little bit of context uh, before we jump into Mary's response, Mary's song. Now, just days before this scene, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, who delivered this message that she would carry and she would deliver and she would mother Jesus, who was going to be God's own son, the Christ child. And when she expressed her honest doubts to Gabriel, the angel told her about her cousin Elizabeth, 
right, who was older, who was past childbearing age, had always been barren, and he told her that she was pregnant and that this was a sign from God that nothing is impossible with him. To which Mary responds as a humble servant. She offers herself saying, let it be according to your word. And that's no light thing that she says that. Like she knows that as a young virgin who's betrothed, who's not married, carrying this baby might mean disaster for her. It might mean a broken engagement. It might mean shame. It might mean uh, economic hardship. It might mean so much more. But God has said it will be and that with him nothing is impossible and the personal implications for Mary, whatever that might be, are far outweighed by the eternal implications of what God has called her to. And so Mary gets it. I, I don't know that we get how much Mary gets, but she gets it probably a lot better than we ourselves understand or that we give her credit for. But she believes what the angel said, but she also has a lot to grapple with. And so she goes to see her older cousin Elizabeth, maybe to see another person who's going through something similar, maybe to see that the impossible is in fact possible with God. And she travels, it's probably likely a few days to get to her cousin Elizabeth. And so you can just imagine after that experience, the processing that she has to to have uh, gone through in those few days, right? She spoke with an angel who said that she would give birth to God's son and that he would be a mighty king from the line of David. This is what Gabriel told her, that he will be the king from a line of David that reigns forever. What does it all mean? Like, I think she's putting it together. She, she's, she's connecting the dots. God's covenant with David, like way back in 2 Samuel, promised that a king from David's own line would rule forever. The prophet Daniel uh, spoke of God's son coming and ruling forever. And then there's this really famous passage, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. We get to see it on Christmas cards and stuff a lot. And it goes like this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, And of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And there's more. There's more connections. Gabriel's language, when he spoke to Mary, connects to Scripture from Judges, from 2 Samuel, all over the Psalms, Daniel, Isaiah, and more. So if what the angel said is truly going to happen, then everything God had promised his people since forever ago is coming to fruition. It means that this is the time. It's actually happening. And so the implications are huge. The implications are eternal. And somehow, some way, for Mary, she's putting all these things together and realizes amidst all these huge implications, eternal implications, there's personal implications for her also. All of this, she has to have stored it up. And she arrives to see Elizabeth. And then when she arrives, John the Baptist, who's 
still in his mother's womb, leaps inside of his mother. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. She exclaims blessings towards Mary for being the mother of her Lord. And in Luke 1.45, she says this, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary responds with this song. Luke 1, 46 through 55. You can follow along with me. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Like I said, there's a few passages in the Bible that just seem to pull everything into one place. And this is one of them. Like this song fits so much of the Old Testament into these few verses. Like Mary connects passages from all over the Old Testament. Genesis, Deuteronomy, First and Second Samuel, Job, a whole bunch of Psalms, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Malachi, you know, and just in rolling uh, through all of those scriptures, all of those books, the reality from the lyrics for me of O Holy Night kind of come back to mind. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. The story had been unfolding for so long, over so many generations and over so much time. Like the beginning and the fall, like way back in the Garden of Eden that we see in Genesis, that was so long ago that it could almost have felt like it was just an old made-up story, just a tall tale. Who knew if it really meant anything anymore? The world had been dark and it had been hard for so long. Who knew if things would ever be made right? But Mary believed the angel and his message. And she had been processing and rolling over the angel's words and she'd been making the connections, maybe slowly realizing the gravity of the angel's News probably just about ready to burst. The world has been waiting so long, eagerly, pining, with groaning, with an ache. And then Elizabeth speaks what she could only have known if God herself, himself had told her. And it all just comes out of Mary in an overflow of praise and of utter joy, in a thrill of hope, an announcement of a new and glorious morn, right? The long-expected Savior is coming. That's what this song is telling us. The long-expected Savior is coming, which means everything is accomplished. God's kingdom of justice and righteousness is coming. Somehow, some way, the baby that Mary would mother would usher it all in. He will deal with all the sin and all the evil of the world. He will crush the serpent's head as Eve had been promised back in the garden. He will bless the nations as Abraham was promised. He will be with his people as the Mosaic covenant had always pointed towards. He will come out and he will save his people like Habakkuk saw in his vision. He will make everything that is wrong right. 
All that is broken will be restored and he will establish a kingdom of justice and of peace and of mercy and of kindness and of beauty like he promised to David forever. This is the good news of Mary's song. The king is coming. We just sang it. The king is coming. The king is here. And her soul is overwhelmed and overjoyed by both the personal and the eternal implications of this good news, of this gospel. The news that he is coming. It's too much to contain. And the realization that she gets to be such an intimate intimate part of it all is humbling and it's amazing. We lit the candle of joy this morning. And Mary sings in her song in verse 49, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And she's quoting Psalm 126, which was a very familiar song, and it's also one of my favorite psalms. Verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 126 go like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter, and our tongues with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad, or we rejoice, or we are filled with joy. Eugene Peterson writes of Psalm 126, that the psalm does not give us this joy as a package or as a formula, but there's some things that it does do. It shows up the tinniness of the world's joy and affirms the solidity of God's joy. It reminds us of the accelerating costs and diminishing returns of those who pursue pleasure as a path towards joy. It introduces us to the way of discipleship, which has consequences in joy. It encourages us in the way of faith to both experience and share joy. What I want to leave us with this morning is the realization that there are two ways to pursue joy or, or to pursue like finding your soul's worth. One is the world's way, which might consist of any number of strategies and schemes to include things like becoming successful or accumulating wealth or maybe racking up sexual partners in search for finding somebody who will make you feel worth something. Peterson says that the world's joy is tinny, right? Meaning it's weak. It won't provide a joy that sustains and thick and thin through sorrow, through heartache, through loss, through grief. It leaves you thirsty. It leaves you dry. The joy of the Lord, however, it plants your feet on the road that is ahead. Though the valley, through the valleys and the peaks, the difficult and the easy, easy portions of the path, your joy sustains because it's sure of what lies ahead and who is with you along the way. Mary was undoubtedly filled with this kind of joy by the news of the coming king of Jesus, who would even be her own son. She didn't know how life was going to go after that moment. But she knew that God was coming out for her and for all of us and that he was coming to save. And that regardless of what the day-to-day was going to bring in this lifetime, the highs, the lows, the shame or the honor, the wealth or the poverty, she belonged to God. He loved her, and it made her soul rejoice. 
This is the good news of Christmas. Jesus has come for us. And so the weary world rejoices. Yes, we still live in an already not yet time. Jesus has already come. He's already uh, brought salvation. He's already established his kingdom. And he's also coming again. And so we wait. But even in the waiting, we are his. And as his, like our own souls ought to leap for joy. And so this morning, as we just move into a time of response, I just want to invite you to prayerfully let the news of the coming king settle in for you. Consider how you've pursued joy in other places. Consider why you have even pursued joy at all. And then consider Jesus. Consider that God stepped into creation, that he put on flesh, that he came to die, to rise again, and to be with you. Because that's the news here. That's the news that gave Mary such great joy. He has come to be with you and to be known by you and to call you his own forever. The worship band is going to come and lead us. And I don't actually think we sang the song I said we did, but now you know we're going to sing it. The king is coming. That's great. <clears throat> the band's going to come and lead us in that and some other songs. Uh, and I'm going to pray for us. And I just want you to take a moment to pray and to consider your joy. Consider where you're finding it. Consider Jesus, that he came for you and that he loves you. As always, we'll come and we'll take communion. You can come down the center aisle and you can take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice, which represents the body and the blood of Christ that was given for you and I. And as we do this, we're remembering that Jesus came. He died. He rose again. It's true. The stories are true. And he's come to make himself known. And we remember it and we proclaim it to one another. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and to take with us and to remember and proclaim along with us. Excuse me. You can also drop your tithes and offerings in the back uh, if, you don't, if you're not doing that online or some other way. Either way, take a moment to remember him and to give him praise uh, through that act, whether it slips out during the week sometime or not. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give you some time to reflect and pray as well.